everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Lighthearted. My name is Anna. And my name is Bracey, and we're two average gals chatting about what it means to grow. How are you growing this week? Well, I have made a lot of progress on our bedroom stuff. I finished painting for the most part. I haven't finished the doors yet, but pretty close. Bought some shelves, got some things cleaned out. I feel like I'm just in like a big push to get a bunch of stuff done, which has been really nice. I know. That's really exciting. I have been loving the progress pictures. Yeah. Also, this room just sat like pretty empty for a long time. So just it feels a lot better in here getting, you know, like furniture where it's going to go and all that stuff. Have you painted the ceiling? I have painted the ceiling. I love it so much. The color is so good. Like I know that it's not something that most people would want. So for those of you who haven't heard already, it's like a powder blue color. And I did it in a flat paint, so it really feels very powdery, but it's so calming, Mm -hmm. and it's just so nice. I love it. That's exciting. And also, did you decide to do black on the doors and the window frames? I did decide to do black, and I think it would have looked good either way, to be totally honest, but I just know that when we have our windows replaced, I won't have the option of painting them. They'll be, like, the grids will be black, so I was like, might as well just do it now. Yeah. So, and also all the rest of the doors in our house are black. So that just kind of carries through. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So I've got some furniture to sell that's been sitting in here that I've known that we weren't going to keep, but that because I hadn't bought any new stuff to go in here, I was just using it for the time being. So I think that's Mm -hmm. my next step is like getting rid of the things that we're not going to keep. What are you going to list it on? For our listeners out there that are in the Raleigh Bend area. I'm not sure. I've done Craigslist in the past, which I've had success with. I know that Facebook Marketplace is really hot right now, but I just hate Facebook. So I, I'm i not sure. We'll see. Well, you know that it's called Meta now. And whatever. <laughs> Meta Marketplace. <laughs> so dumb. I, I mean, they can change their name, but they're still going to be Facebook. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like a weird choice personally. What about you? How are you growing this week? I am growing this week, I think, through kind of continuing on my, like, confrontation train. I'm so proud. I know. And now I'm like a giant monster and I can't be stopped. (laughs) Yeah, I think I've just been more open with my feelings in general. I definitely tend to keep them on the inside for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to just say what I feel when I feel it instead of holding it in. Yeah. How's that feeling? Feels awful. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, No, I mean, not completely awful. It feels awful in the beginning and then it always feels better. Like I physically feel so much lighter. Why does it feel awful? I think because I have so many fears around sharing my feelings that I haven't had enough corrective experiences yet, I guess. And so it's just that old habit and thought pattern that I have about sharing my feelings that keeps me wanting to be quiet. Keeps my throat chakra probably just real clogged. (laughs) Well, we can work on that. Can't have that throat chakra clogged. It's funny because I think maybe every time or if not every time, like almost every time that you've pulled cards for me, I always get the throat card. Well, then you'll be happy to know that our throat center in human design is defined through the end of the year. So it should be easier to express yourself for that period of time. I mean, 
that is holding true so far. It's amazing. Got to express uh, all the things that we had bottled up before. Yeah, before the, the end of this year. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, watch out, everybody. All right. We are talking about codependency this week, which I don't know. I think we're having mixed feelings on. Yeah, I think that this is a fascinating topic, but it's also a hard one, too, because I think when you have people with codependent tendencies in your life, they often just don't realize it. And Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's just a tough topic. Yeah. And even if you do realize it, it's so hard because it has to do with your attachment and it has to do with patterns and it has to do with your family system. And there's so much involved. It's so intertwined that it's really hard to break out of it. Yeah. But the good news is it's a learned behavior. So it's something that you can always work on. Yeah. You can unlearn for sure. Yep. Okay. So I knew that CODA was a thing, which it's Codependence Anonymous. And when I was thinking about this topic of codependency a couple weeks ago, I stumbled across an article that basically kind of outlines patterns of codependency. And actually, CODA doesn't even have a definition of codependency. It's more to do with like, do you feel like these behavioral patterns are holding you back or like causing issues? Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe we could go through that list. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah, I think when you sent me this article, I was pretty excited because I've you know, I mean, I know about codependency, both from like my studies and personally, but it's interesting to see them kind of broken up into different patterns um, and kind of laid out in what some of those behaviors might look like. It's easy to digest it and to like identify like what either which kind of section you fall into or identify like if people in your life, like what is the most true to them and then like kind of gives a reason for like what's behind those uh, those patterns. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. The first one is denial patterns. So I have difficulty identifying what I'm feeling. I minimize, alter, or deny how I truly feel. I perceive myself as completely unselfish and dedicated to the well-being of others. I can take care of myself without any help from others. I mask pain in various ways such as anger, humor, or isolation. I do not recognize the unavailability of those to whom I am attracted. Ooh. Yeah. So how do you feel about denial patterns? I see myself in, in this pattern for sure. I think the first one of having difficulty identifying what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think this is something I'm better at now because I've done some work around it. And I think you know, we'll talk about attachment throughout, but I have anxious attachment. And I think because I have spent so much of my life, like consumed with how other people are feeling that I completely ignore what I feel. Yeah. Um, And so it's difficult. It's something I've had to learn how to do really identify like what I am even feeling because I don't pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's incredible to look at how intertwined anxious attachment specifically mm-hmm. and codependency are, I think they kind of go hand in hand. Like I don't think every anxious attachment person is codependent, but I think those codependent traits can pop up for some people. Mm-hmm. I also think this is an interesting conversation between the two of us because you're anxious attachment and I'm secure attachment. So I don't necessarily see many of these behaviors in me, mm-hmm. but I 
can definitely see them in people that I'm in relationship with sometimes. And so I'm yeah. like on the other end of it. Like, how do I handle this the way that this person is handling the situation? Yeah, totally. It impacts both of us in different ways. Yeah. And I think I'm definitely have relationships with people who probably also deal with codependency stuff or people definitely do, but I don't know that I experience it the same way because I'm in the same boat. Yeah. And I actually think that when you have two people who are codependent and they can be codependent on each other, it's like all hunky dory. Like usually those behaviors kind of like, I don't know, build on each other and like, right. Or like neutralize in some way. Right. Like, yes, like I know that you're codependent on me as much as I'm codependent on you, so I don't have to worry about it. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. I, I don't, I definitely don't see myself as completely unselfish by any means because I'm definitely selfish. But one of the, like, I can take care of myself without any help. I feel like that shows up for me, like, almost in a pride sense mm-hmm. of, like, I, and, and it's like a burden burdensome way. Like I'm like, oh, I don't want to receive help from anybody because I don't want to be a burden. Right. Yeah. On other people. I mean, I think it's those people pleaser tendencies you learned Mm -hmm. because in whatever relationships you had as a child, like you were, Mm -hmm. you were ignoring your own needs in favor of somebody who was like needing to be taken care of, I guess. Yeah, totally. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. The next one is low self-esteem patterns. So I have difficulty making decisions. I judge what others think, say, or do harshly as never good enough. I value others' approval of their thinking, feelings, and behavior over my own. I do not perceive myself as a lovable or worthwhile person. I need to appear to be right in the eyes of others and may even lie to look good. I have trouble setting healthy priorities and boundaries. This is the one section that I do identify with a little bit, especially the I value others' approval over my own. Like That's mm-hmm. definitely something that I've struggled with. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, Taylor and I read through this article together um, when we were on a drive a few weeks ago. And I think this was the one that he said he felt like he identified with the most. I don't think he has a lot of codependency in general, but of all of the ones, like this was the one that kind of struck him the most. Yeah. I think to this a little bit, that part, the valuing others approval, it, I think a little bit comes back to being raised as a kid in the South. It's like you do and say certain things so that you're like a good kid and reflect well on your parents to other people in the community and things like that. And all of those behaviors are at the expense of your own needs and wants and expression. Right. Yeah. But it's more important to be viewed as this like perfect family and this right, perfect yeah. household and everything's fine. And like that counts so much more than what's really going on. I think though, as a society, we have definitely moved more towards like vulnerability and value, like peeling the curtain back at least a little bit, definitely not in every case, but just accepting that nobody's perfect and we're all doing our best and yeah. it's messy. But yeah. that is still something that's hard to internalize, I think. Yeah, hopefully it'll be easier for our kids. But also we have like social media comparison to deal with. Oh, so man. who knows? Yeah, <laughs> so maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll, maybe it'll be easier in some ways and then harder on in others. Yeah. I feel like with this one though, you are really good at setting like boundaries 
and having healthy priorities. Like, I feel like you're kind of like the poster child for that, honestly. (laughs) That's so nice of you. I don't know that I'm good at communicating boundaries. I think I'm good Mm -hmm. at having them. And I like that distinction. I think that, I mean, to be totally honest, my opinion on this comes back to like energetics. I sometimes feel like when you set a boundary, like for yourself, inside yourself, your energy conveys that to other people. So sometimes you don't actually have to verbalize it until they step over the boundary. And that's when you have to show up for yourself and say like, hey, I need you to not do X, Y, and Z behavior. But I don't mm-hmm. think I've e- ever actually had to to have one of those hard conversations. So I love the idea of boundaries. I do have them. I just haven't had to like communicate in a confrontational way about them. Is it that you haven't had to... Because like people haven't stepped over these boundaries or is it because you've been avoidant? Okay. No, I think it's, I mean, I'm sure that there is some situation where I've been avoidant (laughs) because that's my go-to move, but um, I can't think of a place where I was like, oh, they stepped over a boundary and yeah, but I also feel sure that it's going to happen eventually. So (laughs) And then we'll listen to our confrontation episode about how much we hate it. (laughs) Yeah. And then hopefully I can figure it out. (laughs) Okay. The next type is compliance patterns. So I am extremely loyal, remaining in harmful situations too long. I compromise my values and integrity to avoid rejection or anger. I put aside my own interests in order to do what others want. I accept sexual attention when I want love. I make decisions without regard to consequences. Hmm. Okay. I I feel like I have, I can see myself in a couple of these in some ways, or at least like in the past. You know, I think when we, in our alternate lives episode, when I was talking about that situation with like one of my first boyfriends and how it was super toxic, like I think that was, I can see myself in some of that, but like, remaining in a relationship or some version of that for like way too long, even though it was harmful to me. Yeah. Um, and like accepting like a very small amount of love that like really didn't feel like anything like, but I, that was more important to feel like a little bit of something from him versus nothing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think this is a, a big obvious one in in romantic relationships for people like oh i'm going to sacrifice x y and z so that i get attention from this person or Mm -hmm. whatever it is that i feel like i need and i'm not rejected um i think that's like classic codependency what people think of when they think of codependency yeah well and i wonder if this specific pattern style shows up in like a lot of like abusive yeah yeah definitely i think this is like Abusive relationship one on one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, this is sad. <laughs> I I know we're gonna talk a little bit about is codependency like always bad? Are there other sides to it or whatever? But I think so far I'm like, wow, this is this is all terrible. <laughs> yeah, some of these are tough. But it's so nice that they have this resource for you to like identify what types of behaviors you're seeing in yourself or other people. Yeah. All right. The next one is control patterns. This one I definitely see in other people that I'm like in relationship with. Same, same, same. (laughs) Yeah. Or like, uh, 
people's relationships with like I might have a relationship with them and then they have a relationship with somebody else. And I'm like, Oh, I see it right there. Mm -hmm. Um, this one feels kind of easy to identify. Yeah. Okay. So first one, I believe people are incapable of taking care of themselves. I freely offer advice and direction without being asked. I become resentful when others decline their help or reject their advice. I use sexual attention to gain approval and acceptance. I have to feel needed in order to have a relationship with others, and I pretend to agree with others to get what I want. Yep. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I feel like a lot of these particular behaviors are sometimes accepted in society, and so that's mm -hmm. why they're not, like, I don't know, viewed as harmful, I guess, but sounds pretty bad when you list them all out like that. Yeah. I feel like this one in particular can show up really easily in like parental relationships, especially because like when you're a kid, you are incapable of taking care of yourself. You like are dependent on your parents. <laughs> yeah. So like this totally, this isn't like a control pattern, I think, for a lot of your life because when you're a kid, you need other people to take care of you. Um, but then at some point there is a transition and I don't know that there is like a clear cut, like, Hey, I, now I'm good. Like now I can take care of myself. There right. isn't like, there's not, it's not like you like have a conversation. There's not like a graduation from, Hey, I don't need you to take care of me in, anymore in this way. And like, there are ways in your life that like, you are always a kid to your parents. And so there are ways in which you do like there are times when you do need your parents to take care of you. Like there are situations in life mm -hmm. where that might happen. Right. But in general, like you become an adult and you don't need that anymore. But I think that transition is really weird and sticky. I 100% agree with that. And I think that it is a little bit of a sticky situation when parents can't figure out like where it is they can help Versus mm -hmm. like, I want you to do things a certain way or like, here's what I think is best for you. And I mm -hmm. actually think that that's kind of in this like specific pattern. That's kind of what it comes down to. It's like, I think I know better than you, but you're an adult and like a fully formed human. So you get to like make your own decisions and do your own thing. Right. And I think it goes back to like identity being a parent is such a huge part of somebody's identity and it looks really specific and you're very needed when you have small children. And then that, when that transition happens, then you're not needed in the same way. I think it's like, can be really difficult to find like where you fit anymore, like in that parental way. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, we both have talked about how we think it's really important for parents to retain their identity as a person and like hobbies mm -hmm. and things like that within being a parent. And I mean, I'm going to read it again because it's just really obvious to me. I think um, one of these patterns says I have, I have to feel needed in order to have a relationship with others. And like, at what point, like, who are you without being needed? Mm -hmm. like, you have to be secure enough to be in a relationship where people don't need you. They want you, you know? Right. Yeah. And if that isn't a feeling that you have or a belief that you have about yourself, like that can create a lot of like insecurities and anxious attachment. Relationships. Like that, anxious attachment. Yeah. Like for real, if you don't feel needed in a relationship and that makes you anxious and then you, you know, 
exhibit anxious attachment behaviors in relationship with another person that can end up making them want to avoid. Yes, absolutely. I think another way that I've seen this show up or a way that I've seen it like impact other people is it can create a lack of trust in the person that you're like kind of like putting that on. And so like they don't trust themselves to take care of themselves because like you have shown them that you don't believe that they can. Yeah, because when somebody important in your life is telling you that you need them to do X, Y, and Z, that makes you feel like they don't trust you to do it. And they're an important part of your your life. So why would they be wrong about that? So then you end up distrusting yourself. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Yeah, that's, that's tough. And then it's like, oh, the impact of that then is felt in relationships that that person has not only with themselves, but with all the other people in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Therapy. For real. Everyone go. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's the only answer to most of these. Like you can do mm-hmm. all of the things to change your behavior, but until you get to the underlying part, then I don't know if you're going to have any luck, you know? Yeah. The other thing too about codependency is I feel like it's kind of easy to spot in other people, but it's really hard to see in yourself sometimes. And that's tough. Like I feel, I guess maybe it's just me. I value self-awareness so much, but this Mm -hmm. in particular seems like a really hard thing to identify in yourself. Yeah. I I feel like I didn't identify it in myself. I think my therapist identified it for me. Yeah. Well, I mean... (laughs) which is great because now I can see it so clearly mm-hmm. and I can see it in other people and in myself, but I didn't see it before. Yeah. Okay. The last type is avoidance patterns. I act in ways that invite others to reject shame or express anger towards me. I avoid emotional, physical, or sexual intimacy as a way to maintain distance I use indirect or evasive communication to avoid conflict or confrontation. I suppress my feelings or needs to avoid feeling vulnerable. I believe displays of emotion are a sign of weakness. I withhold expressions of appreciation. Okay. When you first started reading them, I was like, oh, cool. I'm not in this one. (laughs) (laughs) And then I don't see myself here. And then you said... I use indirect and evasive communication to avoid conflict. I suppress my feelings. I don't want to feel vulnerable. And I, I do not believe that displays of emotion are a sign of weakness in other people, but I do for myself. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. I I mean, made it. (laughs) Yeah. I can see a few of these in myself too. And actually, this section sounds more like avoidant attachment than it does anxious Mm -hmm. attachment, which is interesting. Yeah. I had that same thought because, yeah, people, I don't know. And it's interesting to, and maybe we should just do an episode on attachment, but it's interesting to look at how avoidant attachment and anxious attachment people find each other. It's so symbiotic. Mm -hmm. Same with, I feel like same with two codependent people. Like if you can use your behaviors to like benefit another person, then there's no Mm -hmm. beef. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, which one of these did you identify with the most? I definitely <laughs> avoid conflict or confrontation. I feel like that's maybe the only one. Yeah. I might I might do some of the other patterns, but I wouldn't say they're like pervasive. Okay. Do you feel like there's people in your life you know that 
kind of fit this pattern. Yeah, I think so. I think this is like a natural version of codependency for people who are not anxious people. They're like, I don't Mm want to deal with this situation. So I'm just gonna not. Right. I'm just gonna take myself out of it or something. Right. Which, I mean, avoidance, it's, it's a whole thing. I know. Okay, so I feel like now is a great time for us to talk about whether we think codependency can be healthy and like good for people. I, okay, I have two thoughts on this. I think one is that like, like attachment styles, there is a time in your life when whatever version of codependency served you in some way that was protective. And that's why you even got into this pattern probably. And so I think there's a time for it, um, that it was a good thing. But I think for the most part, like once you enter into adulthood, it becomes less helpful to you and more harmful in your relationships. And it can cause a lot of complications and negative feelings. The other thing is that I, it obviously depends on how you define codependency. And I think there are several definitions. One that I heard in a podcast with Esther Perel, if you have never listened to her, she's amazing. She's so good. I, yeah, I'm obsessed with her. Every time I hear her talk about anything, I'm like, I just want to be her. I want her to be my mentor. I want, (laughs) I want to be a marriage and family therapist. Like she is so phenomenal and so smart. I honestly, her and Oprah should get together because they would like break the internet probably. Probably. Did you hear Esther on Brene Brown's podcast? I have it downloaded, but I haven't listened to it yet. Well, it's so good. I believe it. Yeah, I need to listen to it after, like right after we finished recording today. Mm -hmm. But she did an interview where she was talking about codependency. And one definition of codependency or one way that it shows up is not being able to feel okay if someone that you're in a relationship with is not okay. Um, Mm. And I think that there is a point where that is unhealthy, but she was kind of presenting it in like, well, of course, like we're social beings, like connection is our purpose. And so it completely makes sense that if somebody that you love and care for isn't okay like, yeah, why would you be okay? Like, that makes sense. That's our, that's the point. Yeah. Um, and so in that explanation of it, I was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting viewpoint. And I think codependency always has like kind of a negative connotation to it. And in that way, it doesn't, yeah. which I kind of appreciated. Yeah. I, yeah, I think she's totally right in that scenario. Like, of course, you're going to have some feelings about somebody you care that much about having, you know, a hard time. Yeah. I think my, barometer of codependency is like when you start to lose your sense of self into Mm. somebody else's sense of self or like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like when you're, yeah. So like in this scenario where somebody you're in relationship is having a hard time, I think that it's totally healthy and normal to be upset about that. But if it's like a debilitating issue, that's when you have a problem. Like when right. you're totally incapacitated because somebody else is going through something. Yeah. Um, if it's all consuming for you. Yeah, for sure. I do think though that one area where codependency can be helpful, I wouldn't say healthy, but helpful is when you're in a situation where your sense of safety is not solid, like your foundation Mm -hmm. is not solid. 
I think falling back on some of these patterns with somebody who is able to like work with them and, and knows your patterns and is um, happy to help you in that way. I think that can be very grounding for people. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. I have this emotional pattern that worked for me as a child. I'm going through a hard time. And so I'm reverting to like this behavioral pattern to just get me through until I'm able to process things and like move forward in a more healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think they're necessary sometimes. Yeah. It's just like emotional eating. Like it's, it's better for you to eat emotionally if you know that you're doing it rather than doing it mindlessly. Like Mm -hmm. I had a bad day. I'm going to have some chocolate. I'm okay with that. You know? Right. Like maybe it's not the healthiest behavior in the world, but for right now it's going to be fine. Right. It's all about that awareness. Yeah. And I think too, then knowing that once you are on a little bit more on solid footing, like doing the work to develop different patterns so that maybe next time you have a better opportunity or a better shot at using these new, more helpful, healthier ways of responding to things. Yeah. I think the big problem comes when you're in a codependent relationship with somebody Mm -hmm. who's just as codependent with you. And therefore, there's no incentive to change those behaviors. But in reality, they're still unhealthy. And there's, they're still, I, in my opinion, they're putting some sort of like cap on the the healthiness and like success of your relationship, no matter what Mm -hmm. it seems like in the moment, I think. Right. Well, and then it would require both of you to not only be aware, but also be willing, willing to, to change break which that is, pattern. <laughs> yeah. Which is the hard part, I think, especially, yeah. especially, especially in family relationships, because I think those are the places where, you know, you've been with your family for your whole life and they expect you to be a certain way. And when mm-hmm. you say, hey, this isn't healthy, I, I'm going to change my behavior. Sometimes that can throw people really off. Right. And in a pattern that is involving multiple people, like if you're the only one that changes their behavior, like it's only going to affect change so much. Yeah, for sure. I think that's why people have such a hard time setting boundaries in family specifically, because it's like, mm-hmm. you've expected me to be this way for years and years and years. And our mm-hmm. family dynamic is dependent on me responding in this way. And I yeah. can no longer do that. And so I'm going to have to draw a line in the sand and you're not going to like it. Right. It's like forcing you to choose between chaos or calm, um, even yeah. if the calmness isn't healthy and is harmful. Like, right. Or at least even if it's chaotic, it's a chaoticness that you are used to and everybody's like aware of what their role is and how they're how they're supposed to respond and behave, even if all of this is subconscious. Like, mm-hmm. And then if somebody decides to do something different, then then there's conflict. Yeah. I really love this quote that I read recently. It's by Prentice Hemphill. Boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it comes back to. It's like at some point you have to address that pattern of behavior for yourself. And you have to say, mm-hmm. I understand that this is going to be like change and different for you, but I need to love myself and you. I c- it can't be one or the other. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's some quote about like boundaries are only a problem for people who like Cross your them. lack of boundaries, like yeah, <laughs> was, was great for them or yeah, whatever it is. Um, and so the people in your life that truly, truly love you and care for you and all of that will find a way to respect those boundaries, even if it's hard. For sure. 
Are there any examples of codependency that you've witnessed or been a part of in some way that are super silly? Yeah, actually, my one of my friends in high school, which, okay, let's just say it right now. Teenagers, I think, have a much higher t- tendency towards codependency because they aren't centered enough in themselves to like mm-hmm. really know. But anyways, um, one of my friends in high school was like one of those girls who whenever she got into a relationship with a guy, she like took on all of his personality traits. So like one time oh. I can remember she started dating this guy and she literally decided that her favorite color is green and started buying all these green things because his favorite color was green. <laughs> And I was like, I know that you can't see what you're doing right now, but like, this is not good. <laughs> right. And it, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't even know what to say. Like, that's such a funny one because it's like, what do you, do you think that if y'all have the same color, like that means you're meant to be or you're I soulmates or like, I really what is, don't know how what's it works. the thought process there? But she, it wasn't just color. It was like all of his taste in music, like his hobbies. And I'm like, you are lost. You have lost yourself to him. Like that's to me, that's like what happens is like you are just undercutting everything that you like and want for yourself in service to whatever he wants. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I definitely had friends in high school who, when they got a boyfriend, like he was the only thing that mattered. It was like, Mm-hmm. Bye. Like, oh, I've never, I've never heard of you. Like, oh, I have friends. Where are they? Like, yeah. it, nothing. And so I'm sure there was some of that happening where they were like totally wrapped up in, mm-hmm. in their life. I just, because I was no longer a part of their life while they were in a relationship. Like, I don't know what it even looked like. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's, I feel like that's a tough one. I was definitely accused of being codependent like in my first relationship. And I'm not saying that that's not true, but I think that in teenagers, it's like, they're, it's new. They're trying to figure it out, like whatever. And they don't really have like a fully formed identity yet. Right, like they're yeah. kind of searching for it. And so it's probably easier to attach yourself to somebody who has a stronger identity than it is to be reflective about like what you actually want and who you really are. Like that's harder. A hundred percent. Yeah. And even if you were doing that type of reflecting, because I was, I still just was very like indecisive and like not sure, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, I don't know if this is an appropriate question for this conversation or if it's, it would be better suited in like an attachment episode. But what do you think it is that causes people to have secure attachments and relationships? like to tend towards secure attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is partly personality. Um, it's probably that they are, it's probably that they had a model of secure attachment in somewhere in their childhood, like whether that was between parents or between grandparents or aunts or uncles or friends or something like they were able to witness that. And that some level of security was encouraged. Mm. Okay. That's fair. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? I I really don't know because I sometimes feel like my secure attachment is like just such good luck. Like I just really got Mm -hmm. lucky. Um, I do think that 
I was in healthy relationships from a young age, like healthy romantic yeah. relationships. And I think that really helped. I was never taught not to be secure um, yeah. by, by people I was in relationship with. So, yeah. yeah I think it's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's probably a lot of different factors, but I feel very lucky to have like ended up as a secure attachment style. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. I feel like I want to somewhere, somewhere I aspire to be one day. <laughs> I'm definitely moving in that direction. I was, I'm definitely not as anxious attachment as I used to be. Yeah. Well, I think when you insane. get in a healthy, stable relationship, it's a lot easier to be secure, you know? Totally. Yeah. And like, ultimately my goal is like one of these days I will be able to identify as secure attachment. I'll be like, Oh yeah, I'm not anxious anymore. Like I'm here. I've yeah, made for it. Sure. Okay. Well, I feel like now would be the place for us to talk about how not to be codependent, but I think the answer is you go to therapy and work on yourself. <laughs> yeah. And if you are in a codependent relationship, maybe talk to your partner about how either one or both of you is codependent and for how sure. you should maybe go to couples therapy. <laughs> yeah. And identify those places where you are codependent from the um, coda list as well. I think that's really helpful. Yeah. We can put this article in the notes on our our podcast episode if you're interested. All right. If you are having any codependency tendencies or you have interesting stories, we would absolutely love to read them. You can email us at lightheartedpodcast at gmail.com. And make sure you follow along on Instagram at lightheartedpod. Talk to you in two weeks. See ya. See ya.